turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. We achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth. It was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Alrighty then, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. We are underway at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on AM fourteen twenty. The answer it's Monday, the eighth morning of the first month of the year of our Lord twenty twenty one. And we've got a lot of very important work to do today. Coming up in about a half an hour, it's bonus Jim Jordan for you. It's not really bonus. This is his regular time on Mondays, but uh we just had him on Friday because of his last week uh uh, schedule his Monday schedule did not allow his appearance, so we get him back to back days. We get him Friday, and now we get him on Monday, and that is phenomenal. He's doing a lot of incredible work. He's explaining yesterday on um, Maria Bartiromo the details on the Hunter Biden situation, the seriousness of his refusal to testify as the investigation into the Biden crime family expands. Uh, so we're going to talk to him about that. We're also going to talk to him. Uh, about the border, which we started a, a great conversation with him on uh, on uh, uh, Friday, and uh, a host of other things as well, including uh, the new budget bill. You heard it in the newscast, right? Top of the hour just now. Joe Biden likes it. Joe Biden likes the new budget bill. Uh, $1.66 trillion that we are told congressional leaders have agreed to to finance the federal government in 2024. It avoids the shutdown on uh, January 19th, so 11 days from now. And uh, Joe Biden likes it. And that's all you need to know to know how terrible it has to be. I don't know everything that's in it. I did a little bit of cursory searching. I've got a little bit of information. I'll give you the what I have, and we'll talk to Jim Jordan about it. But the headline in the newscast at the top of the hour <clears throat> was that Joe Biden likes it and the House Freedom Caucus not so much. We'll get some, some specifics on that with Jim Jordan. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Jim Jordan at 935 at 1010, we're going to look back at Saturday. Why? What was Saturday? Saturday, of course, was January 6th, the third anniversary of the January 6th riots at the Capitol. 
that indeed were riotous, no question about it. They were nothing more. Do not call them an insurrection. I know this is what they do, but um, this is this is not the reality of it. Joe Biden did his level best to paint it as an insurrection, to attack Donald Trump, to use the occasion to campaign for his reelection. I'm not surprised by that, of course. It's what you would expect. But the shots taken at Trump and, again, accusing him of leading or inciting an insurrection is just pathetic. And it's futile because it just is not true. Uh, and the reality is what it is. And we're going to be talking about that with uh, Tom Zawistowski, president of the We the People Convention at uh, 1035, uh, uh, 1010. Rather. Tom Z did a uh, special podcast, a We the People Convention podcast on Saturday on the anniversary of uh, the January 6th uh, attack. And um, he's got a lot to say. By the way, I'm going to have to also, sadly, bring this up with Tom Z, and I may even talk about it before then. And when I say sadly, I mean because of the horrific nature of this. We know how they have continued to hold J6 prisoners hostage in D.C. gulags. Did you know that they're not done hunting for more people to prosecute? A U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, Matthew Graves, said they're still looking for more people who simply stood outside of the Capitol. Let me say that again. These are people that they acknowledge did not riot, did not enter the Capitol building, stayed outside, on the grounds, a place where they are allowed to be, and now they are hunting for them. During a press conference... Graves, again, the U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia, hinted that Americans who did not even go inside the Capitol bill, uh, building on uh, January 6th could still lead to thousands of arrests. He has already charged the D.C. District Attorney more than 1,400 Americans with crimes, and I'll use that term very loosely and in air quotes, relating to the protests on January 6th. He has also handed down more than 900 convictions almost all of them having prison sentences. Graves admitted that a significant portion of the 2020 George Floyd rioters were not charged at all, despite causing destruction on a wide scale, setting cities on fire, killing or injuring scores of police officers, doing $2 billion worth of damages. No one's hunting for them. No one cares. But they have to make a point. They have to make an example out of those who would dare go to the Capitol on January 6, 2021 and challenge uh, the the very questionable, and that's putting it mildly, uh, election results. So uh, Graves says prosecutors are looking to target Americans who went there but did not go in. That means they simply stood there exercising their First Amendment right to assembly. You do realize that's in the First Amendment, right? You have the right to assemble, and they assembled outside the Capitol. Did some of them go inside the Capitol? Yes. Did some of them smash and plow through people to get inside the Capitol? Yes. Should those people be dealt with appropriately? Yes. Are they being dealt with appropriately or too harshly? Answer, very much too harshly. But should those who said, man, I'm not going in there. I just came here to peacefully and patriotically make my voice heard the way President Trump advised us to do, and that's all I'm doing. I'm going to peacefully and patriotically make my voice heard. Now the D.C. U.S. attorney there, Matthew Graves, says, we're coming for you anyway for peaceful, patriotic assembly 
and petitioning the government for a redress of grievances. That is exactly what this is. So, anyway, Tom, uh, Tom Z and I are going to have a have a whale of a time talking about that at ten thirty ten ten. I should say. Then at ten thirty five. We're going to talk with uh, Jay McDonald, vice president of the uh, national FOP, former president of the Ohio FOP, job currently held by Gary Wolski. But Jay, uh, Mac, and I are going to be talking about the numbers they are in now. This is the uh, tough part about early January. We'll find out how really bad the last year was on any host of or number of things. In this particular one, a record number of police officers were shot in 2023. This should be a surprise to no one. Uh, after the defunding a police after the uh, calls to dismantle police, uh, massive, massive under-recruiting in, in uh, police departments in big cities across the country. you got single-man cars instead of partner cars. You've got uh, a very emboldened population in the criminal world uh, willing to take shots at cops because they know cops are scared to death to do anything in uh uh, in uh, terms of aggressive policing because they're all going to get arrested or they're going to be fined or they're going to be put in prison or they're going to be fired or whatever the case might be. We all know the reasons, but it's uh, manifesting itself in higher crime rates, <clears throat> particularly violent crime in America's uh, cities, and it is manifesting itself in cops being shot. As a matter of fact, let me see if I have the number here. According to the report from the National FOP in 2023, 378 officers were shot, a 60% increase since the FOP began tracking data back in 2018. So what, just about so six years on, because we just started 2024, a 60% increase. The data also showed 46 cops of those 378 who were shot have been killed. 115 ambush attacks that resulted in 138 of the shootings, 46 officers murdered by gunfire. Um, these these statistics are just, uh, they're a grim reminder of the war on cops that goes in, this goes on in this country. It's unabated. And uh, we're going to talk to Jay McDonald again, National FOP Vice President, will be at 1035. So there you have it. A little rundown for you. Jim Jordan, Tom Zawistowski, Jay McDonald, and you. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Let's get a little pledge here. What do you say before we do anything else? Get into some of the other top headlines. Pledge of allegiance. Stand and face your flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us for this. If you are a believer in the division that uh, Joe Biden had continued to try to sow with his speech full of lies on January 6th on Saturday, if you believe in his complete surrender and his uh, abrogation of his responsibilities to defend the sovereignty of the country on the southern border, if you like what he is doing, you do not like this country, so don't stand and fake pledge. You, we know where, where your allegiances really lie, and it's not with that flag nor of the country that it represents. You may instead take a knee over there next to the other Marxists. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. For all. all right, indeed now, 9-17. So um, a couple of things I want to start with, including the spending. And, and you know, spending, it's not great radio, to be 100% honest with you. It's not great radio <clears throat> to be talking about financial matters and budget matters. But honestly, you, if you ignore this, you do so. If we ignore it, it, we do so at our own peril. That's just the reality. 
congressional leaders have reached this $1.66 trillion agreement just yesterday. So this isn't even you know news for a lot of people yet. It just broke down yesterday to finance the federal government in 2024. It preserves funding for key domestic and social safety net programs in the face of GOP demands to cut the government's budget. Now, lawmakers are up against a stiff deadline to pass legislation to codify this deal and avert a partial government shutdown. Funding runs out for roughly 20% of the government on uh, January 19th. That would include some of the essential programs such as Veterans Assistance, and food and drug safety services, that would run out on January 19th. And then money for the rest of the government would run out shortly after that on February 2nd. So this this deal would, of course, keep the government running and avoid those shutdowns. Now let me say, first and foremost, I don't want the government to shut down. I don't want our veterans to lose any of the care that they, they deserve. I don't want anybody to lose anything that is important and that is legal and that is justified. I don't want any of that happening, obviously, right? <clears throat> I think we can all all agree on that. That's just reasonable. However, what Chip Roy said last week spoke very, very loudly to me and accurately. And he's right. If it if the choice comes down to funding the government so that all of those programs stay in place and surrendering its sovereignty by not funding and more specifically changing policy on our southern border to stop the pace of 12 million illegal immigrants coming into this country and turning this uh, this nation into well a non-nation you cannot be a nation without borders that's just reality you can't if it's just come and go as you please which it is right now under the biden administration and the numbers are staggering if um if you don't have borders you don't have a country and to me how why do you fund a, why would you fund the government of a country that literally doesn't exist it's become a globalist uh you know landing spot for everybody in the world that just wants to come and say oh, I'm claiming asylum what are you being persecuted by I don't know whatever's on your list that's me uh let me go and they're saying okay go it cannot survive i want the government to run but if it means losing the country to run the government then i say swallow hard take the the the, the bitter medicine and shut it down shut it down until the border is shut down chip roy essentially said either shut the border down or shut the country down one or the other and that will maybe spur the Biden administration into some action when it comes to policy change again it's not just about the spending when it comes to the border you can hire 200 million Border Patrol agents, if the task they are given is process illegals to get them into the country faster, what the hell good have you done? You can hire 200 million border agents and tell them, play the role of Walmart greeter. When they come to the border, step to the side and say, welcome in, and tell them to go on in, and we'll see you in a few years for an asylum hearing. You will never see those people again. If that's the policy, then there is no policy. There is no country. And like I said, Chip Roy's right. Shut the whole thing down. Now back to this spending bill. The House and the Senate are set to return from their holiday break this week ahead of the two-tiered government funding deadline. The first batch, again, of the funding exp- uh, expires on the 19th, the rest on February 2nd. Speaker Mike Johnson, the new speaker who was supposed to bring some fiscal sanity back to things whenever Matt Gates led the uprising, 
that booted Kevin McCarthy from the speakership. And again, I hold no love for Kevin McCarthy. But I did did say that there isn't going to be much that changes no matter who the speaker is. Do we really want to go through uh, the inter the intra party drama um, uh, in the Republican Party? This you know this this civil war, if you will, to do this. And I I don't know if it was worth it. Mike Johnson is not. Mike Johnson is doing some decent things. Mike Johnson has not followed through on his pledge to a release all of the J six videos. All of them, which is what he said he was going to do. And number two, again, he's not acting like the fiscal conservative, any more of a fiscal conservative than Kevin McCarthy was. The Speaker has, quote, touted, end quote, the uh, Senate's spending plans. That's right. They, uh, I'm sorry, let me reread that. The, The Speaker has touted that the spending deal results in an overall $30 billion reduction from the Senate spending plans. Excuse me. But nonetheless... We are talking about a $1.66 trillion agreement that Joe Biden is very, very happy with. That means the Democrats are getting way too much of our tax money to spend on their pet projects and on a host of things that we are probably going to regret later on. And Johnson said that his, uh, excuse me, the agreement that his side of the aisle has uh, has agreed to um, will include an additional $10 billion in cuts to the IRS mandatory funding. Okay, again. That's not a that's not an insignificant thing. That's an important thing, but it's ten billion out of a one point six six trillion dollar agreement. Don't act as though that you know all is well here, or that this is some sort of an equal uh, tit for tat. While well, we're going to expand spending here, but we're going to cut it there. It's not equal, not at all. Not when you're talking about one point six six trillion dollars. So cutting ten billion from the IRS mandatory funding brings that total to twenty billion. Six point one billion will be cut from the Biden administration's continued COVID era slush funds. Again, no significant cuts. And this is why we all hey, we gotta get rid of Kevin McCarthy. Look at what he did, uh, you know, by kicking the can down the road and agreeing to another uh, you know, um uh, uh uh pause, if you will. Uh, on getting to a you know an extension uh, on getting to a full and complete budget for 2024, and now here is the budget, and Joe Biden is smiling ear to ear, and that means it is a disaster. So uh, that's something again we're going to be talking about with Jim Jordan in a few, along with um, a couple of other things with respect to the the republic, our democracy, and the republic. Eighty-one percent of Democrats polled in this country believe states. All states should disqualify former President Donald J. Trump from their presidential ballots. Ninety percent of Republicans say states should keep his name on the ballot. Obviously, that's not news. We are in a divided time right now. But the truth of the matter is we're, what, a week and a day away from the Iowa caucuses. Primaries are here. They're here. And if the battles are still going on, and they are in states as to whether or not Donald Trump should be on the ballot... Democracy is at stake. The left is always screaming about the threat of democracy. Joe Biden gave a speech on uh, Saturday in which he called Donald Trump a threat to democracy, called Republicans and MAGA Republicans a threat to democracy, even as this news is breaking that his party is trying to end democracy by refusing the name or uh, to allow the name of the chief political opponent, the leading person in the polls, to take his job from him, uh, you know, stopping his name from being on the ballot. That is a direct attack on democracy. Forty-four percent, by the way, of those polled said states should remove Trump's name from the ballot overall. Forty-four percent. 
believe states should remove Trump's name from the ballot. That's factoring in the 81% of Democrats saying he should be disqualified, 90% of the Republicans saying he should not. Balances out to 44% overall say he should be. So it's nearly half. That's troubling. If half of the voting public thinks Donald Trump's name should not be allowed on the ballot, we have a major problem. And you know when that major problem will manifest itself? In the general election. If nearly half of the of the of the voting public think his name shouldn't be there, then you can count on the fact that that nearly half is not going to vote for him if it is there. That could be a huge issue in the general election. Trump's appearance on the ballot is facing lawsuits in at least now 13 states, Texas, Nevada, Wisconsin, among them you already know about Colorado and Maine. So the question becomes is how viable will he be if indeed he does get his name on all of those ballots, but 44% say they don't think he should be there. All of those are topics for discussion we're going to have with Jim Jordan, we're going to have with a couple of other guests, and we're going to have with you at 2169. Okay, it's 934. Good morning. Appreciate you being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. We're going to be talking to Jim Jordan in just a moment or two. As soon as we make that connection, I will let you know. But uh, I'm looking at a couple of the <clears throat> comments. Uh, oh, I'm told he's there right now. So I'll, I'll bring the comments to his attention directly and get a response to those things. Let's welcome uh, the uh, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, chairman of the Weaponization Subcommittee, and member of the House Oversight Committee, Congressman Jim Jordan, back to our program. Good morning, Congressman. Did you have a good weekend? I did. I hope you did as well, Bob. I did. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, so I was just about to riff a little bit on uh, the spending uh, agreement. I just uh, read uh, the details about this. It was struck yesterday. $1.66 trillion spending agreement that Speaker Johnson has apparently, uh, uh, you know, and his uh, and his assistants and associates mm-hmm. have, have reached with the Democrats. The Speaker says... The deal, let me find the quote here, the final spending levels will not satisfy everyone, and they do not cut as much spending as many of us would like. I think that is an understatement. Um, do you have any uh, first blush reactions to the agreement that was made? Well, I mean, look, we got $34 trillion debt, so we do got to get a handle on the spending. Everyone understands that. Well, everyone except Democrats understand that, uh, and the Biden administration uh, doesn't understand it either. But the... Um, but what I'm more concerned about is the, the policies we, we, we're going to get in there because based on so, – so I'm concerned, yes, with what came out yesterday, but also the statements that came from uh, Leader Schumer and, and Leader Jeffries, they said uh, there, there's, they're not going to be any, quote – they use the term poison pill policy. Well, their poison pill policy is good policy that we want in there. For example, when we worked on the bill with the Appropriation uh, Committee Republicans on uh, for the Justice Department, we, we had things in there like no money can be – be used to censor American speech. No money can be used to set up this the disinformation governance. We we were putting those kind of good policy writers. If they're saying no to those, then then I'm going to have a problem as well with not just the spending issue, but with the policy because this is where you can get some some good policy and and the, the things that the American people want, people in the fourth district want. So that's probably my bigger concern. Uh, and if that's the case, then then I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of uh, Republicans who have some problems with. Uh, with the spending package that gets put together here later this month. Well, here's um, here's one line from that joint statement by, by Schumer and Jeffries that you just talked about. Um, they said that the framework would conti- framework would continue protecting quote key domestic priorities like veterans benefits, health care, and nutrition assistance from the draconian cuts sought by right wing extremists. End quote. What draconian cuts were you and uh, the other Republicans looking for uh, as they? Yeah. 
No, we probably. I don't know that any draconian cuts we were looking at. We were looking at reforms. We're always looking at reforms, particularly when it comes to the, the nutrition program, is the food stamp program, the SNAP program. Uh, we're always looking for reforms. Their work requirements, which vast majority of Americans agree with. So I don't know what exactly they're 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 talking about there. But the biggest policy concern, of course, is policies that impact immigration and the border situation. And if they're saying no to that not only in this bill, but also in, in talking about the, quote, supplemental bill. Uh, that's a concern as well. Congressman, uh, the Freedom Caucus that you co-founded um, uh, wrote, it's worse than we thought. Don't believe the spin. Once you break through typical Washington math, the true total prog- uh, programmatic spending level is $1.658 trillion, not $1.5 trillion, $5.9 trillion, rather. This is a total failure. Now, that's, again, that's the Freedom Caucus that you yep. co-founded. Yep. So, so I mean, yep. are, are they going too hard on this, and do you think this has any chance of passing, given those statements and the, and the number of Freedom Caucus members that there are? Well, it's certainly not going to pass with just Republicans. I mean, it'll, it'll take a bipartisan type of thing to get it passed. But, again, we're, we're, we're only set at the number. So we don't like the number. I, I agree with the Freedom Caucus. We don't like the number because it doesn't sound like it's consistent with the debt ceiling agreement put together in the spring. But remember what that debt ceiling agreement said. The debt ceiling agreement said we're going to spend at this level. Looks like this is higher than that. Second, the debt ceiling said if we don't get the policies we want, and we're not going to get all our policies, but if we don't get some of the good policies we want, then we're content to go with a uh, a, a continuing resolution for the whole year, which would actually save us money. So it's either like, hey, we'll go with the number set in the debt ceiling uh, agreement plus good policy, or we're, we're content to go with the current funding level, which is actually less. So I'll, I'll, I, at this point, I want to see the policy to determine what, what, what we do next. But if it's, if it's an increase in spending and we're not getting the policy, then that's bad on both fronts. And that, that is my, my, my fear is where this thing is going to go. Last part on this. Uh, Speaker Johnson made this deal. I mean, we're 11 days from the 19th. What we've got, gotten used to is these things coming down to the 11th hour, and that's how you get some concessions yep. from the other side. But it seems like he's just uh, ready to sign on very early here to this agreement with Jeffries and with uh, uh, with uh, Chuck Schumer and with Joe Biden, who is very happy with this bill. That troubles me. Joe Biden's happy with this kind of spending, and the Democrats are happy, and our Speaker is saying, yeah, we're good, too, 11 days on. I feel like there's more that he should be fighting for. Am I being too critical no i think uh again i want to i want to dig into the details right now we have this top line number and there's some question about exactly what that entails um i'm going to dig into that today i was i was reading about some of it last night um but i got real concerned as 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 well and and the 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 biggest concern for me though is as i've I've said a couple times here is the policy concerns yeah. Uh, we want we want some of those policy writer the, the, that that language in there uh, that that on immigration on border security on on censorship issue things we've been working on that I know the vast majority of the American people agree with. All right, you mentioned border security and I mentioned Speaker Mike Johnson. That sets this clip up perfectly. I believe Secretary Mayorkas is an abject failure, but it's not because of incompetence. I believe he has done this intentionally. I think these are intentional policy decisions that he's made, and I think there must be accountability for that. Secretary You're Mayorkas, the guy you need to negotiate with. Secretary Mayorkas is not a good faith negotiating partner. He is unwilling to enforce existing federal law. Why would we believe that he would do uh, any new provision? He's 
you and I spoke in some depth about Speaker, or excuse me, about uh, uh, Secretary Mayorkas on Friday, and now Speaker Johnson went on CBS Face the Nation and said he's not a good faith negotiating partner. He's lied to my face, and he uh, specifically when asked on what, uh, he said the fact that he declared publicly that the border is closed, and we all know that uh, some nine million <laughs> illegal aliens into the Biden administration, it is clearly not. Is the speaker handling this correctly, and are we going to see advancements on that uh, Mayorkas impeachment effort? Uh, yeah, I think the answer to both of those is yes. Um, uh, look, we, we were down there last week. We, we saw four. I mean, the, the, board, the Mayorkas can say the border is secure, but while 60 members of Congress are standing there on, along the Rio Grande and Eagle Pass, Texas, you saw we, we saw, I think, eight different uh, eight uh, migrants from Venezuela just because they told us they were said Venezuela. They they, they they come through the fence right there, uh, so it doesn't look too secure. We saw for you know we saw it with our own eyes. Um, and, and my orchestra, when he's been in front of our committee, has failed to give us the information, failed to answer questions, even though we we, we wrote him ahead of time saying these are the questions we want answers to. He came to the committee and didn't answer the very questions we asked him to answer. So this guy has been a failure. And I think, as uh, has been indicated, Chairman Green of the Homeland Security Committee is moving forward with a, with a hearing uh, on impeachment uh, this Wednesday. Uh, Congressman Jordan, I want to move to J6 because yesterday, or excuse me, Saturday, of course, was the anniversary. And I'm going to, I don't know, if you want to react to the incredibly divisive and uh, yeah. uh, horrific comments that's, that uh, the President of the United States made, we can do that. But specifically, I also want to ask you about this story from uh, U.S. Attorney Matthew Graves in Washington, D.C., who said, we're not done. We are now looking, and he, he didn't say this directly, but 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 this is what the suggestion was, to target those who stood outside the Capitol on January 6th. Thousands of people they are still searching for, they're coming through video, who did not go in, who did not trespass, who did not commit any crimes, who availed themselves of their First Amendment rights to freedom of assembly, and to petition the government for a redress of their grievances by being protesters outside the Capitol, who did not go in, they want them charged as well. I mean, is it, if With this what? isn't an attack on the American people, if this isn't a you know just a complete attack on our First Amendment rights, I don't know what it is, yeah. what it is. Your thoughts? But what's he going to charge him with? I mean, that's a, that's a fundamental question. So you didn't commit a crime, but we're going to charge you with the crime? <laughs> I mean, if we're at that point, holy cow! Talk about the. A failure to follow the rule of law. Talk about a double standard. Talk about just just government targeting people, weaponized against the very people who pay for that government. That that to me is just just if that's if that's really what's going on there. I've not seen that, but if that's the case, Bob, uh, that is crazy. Well, he, here's um, his direct quote. Just to answer your question the best I can through him. Quote, if a yeah. person knowingly entered the restricted area with w- without authorization, they have already committed a federal crime. Make no mistake, thousands of people occupied an area that they were not authorized to be present in in the first place. End quote. Thoughts? What, so he's saying what there was some barrier that outside the Capitol that they walked inside that? Um, I mean, what, I, I think there's got to be it with... <laughs> You know, there's got to be the mens rea. There's got to be intent. There's gotta, did they intend to? Did they know? I mean, I, I mean, I think there's there's circumstances. So anyone and everyone that doesn't make sense to me either. If they, I mean, if they if they if they unknowingly walked across some some bear, some line that 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 they couldn't tell was there, that's a whole different matter. And for goodness sake, if they're doing that, um, that's that makes no sense to me. If they knew about it, they removed barriers. That's one thing. But if it's like I, I like I suspect they're probably. Lots of people who 
who didn't know that they had walked across some barrier uh, it's been removed or torn down or whatever, I think that's a different situation. And I know this is a District of Columbia issue, obviously, um, you know, because we're talking about the U.S. Attorney Matthew Graves from D.C., but, I mean, is there anything the federal government can do? Can you or anybody else do to protect people who simply, well, like I said, have, they use their done, freedom of assembly? I thought they had a right to do that. We have mm-hmm. done, uh, you know, a, a, we, we have done, a, we've written to everyone we have inquired about. We, we've tried to to, to get answers on every single situation from Alvin Bragg in Manhattan relative to President Trump to Jack Smith to Fonnie Willis, um, you name it. We have, we have, we have uh, dug into all these issues. We will continue to do so. But this is the first I've really heard of this where they're looking to, to people standing around who may or may not have, uh, you know, who may not even have known that they crossed some, some, some line and were standing in an area they weren't supposed to be standing in. Uh, that to me seems. But particularly when you when you look at the situation in the summer of 2020, you look at the situation with all these pro pro Palestinian uh, 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 situations across the country where they're shutting down highways, doing the things they're doing in certain cities, tearing down. And w- what have we heard about there? Um, again, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see that comparison as well. Congressman Jim Jordan is our guest on AM 1420, The Answer. Congressman, going back to Hunter Biden now, you and I talked about this briefly on Friday. You got more in-depth with it uh, uh, with uh, Maria Bartiromo yesterday, and you talked yeah. about the fact that he faces, quote, serious stuff, end quote, with uh, contempt of Congress proceedings that could lead up to a year in jail. Can you give us more details on what serious stuff means? Well, it'll be up to Merrick Garland, but, yeah, you can you – can end up to a year in jail for for contempt um that it'll it'll depend on what the justice department decides to do uh when we send the contempt um when we have the contempt vote and send it to the justice department do it do the referral so um it'll be it'll be up to them and there can be a, there can be a fine imposed as well but um right now we're we're focused on that markup will be wednesday in our committee and wednesday in uh the oversight committee and then we'll we'll, we'll go from there uh, we'd like for him to come in and testify. That's uh, why we why we ask him. Mm-hmm. But uh, he decided to come to the Capitol and do a big press event instead. Is that has that ship sailed now? In other words, would you guys schedule another date and try again with him, uh, and then say we'll lift the charges of contempt of Congress if you come in, or is that just not going to happen? Sure, but now? that that would require his lawyers to reach out to our lawyers. Um, you know, we've talked to his, uh, 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 his communications back and forth with his uh, his attorneys uh, throughout this ordeal. And we, we we would certainly do that, but we we don't see any offer like that coming. Um, uh, you know, we just haven't heard anything from him about that. Okay, because uh, because I, I, I'm with you. I want to. I really want the testimony. I want him to get in there and be deposed, and I want to learn everything that we need to know about the Biden crime family. It's better to me uh, to have that than to actually just throw him in jail. That wouldn't displease me, but nonetheless, we need to get to the bottom of things. Last question for you. This one isn't involving federal government. Um, you don't control anything that happens at the state level, but I want your opinion because you are such a prominent conservative uh, voice in the state of Ohio. Governor DeWine vetoed what uh, the bill uh, that passed overwhelmingly uh, uh, at the end of December called the SAFE Act, Saving Adolescents from Experimentation. Yep. As you know, that also encompasses the Save Women's Sports Act, and you are, of course, such a, mm-hmm. a huge uh, sports person as well. Um, Governor DeWine vetoed that, despite the overwhelming passage. Then, just uh, at the end of last week, on Friday, he issued an executive order that would indeed ban transgender surgeries for minors in the state of Ohio, very similar to the uh, to the legislation that he just vetoed. 
Um, do you yeah. have any Do you have any opinions or thoughts on what Mike DeWine <laughs> is doing with respect to saving kids from this sort of uh, barbaric thing when they certainly are too young and 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 uh, you know uh, have, unprepared to make decisions I, like that? I don't know what the governor's doing. It, it sounds like he's trying to have it both ways, which uh, doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I think they should override uh, his veto. Um, you know, with or without the executive order. Uh, so I hope they, uh, that the General Assembly moves ahead to do that. I think they're going to, um, which is, I think is the, the right move because, you know, we appreciate the governor's executive order, but that, that, that's not all that there's other things in the bill that are really important. Uh, vast majority of Ohioans, vast majority of Americans know that boys should, shouldn't compete against girls in sports. I mean, it's just common sense. I, we, we've talked before about, I love what Sarah Huckabee Sanders said at the, as in response to the State of the Union a year ago. When, when she stood up, she said the divide in America today is normal versus crazy. And it is crazy to think that it's okay for boys to compete against girls in sports. I mean, come on. So just sign the bill, but he vetoed it. So now General Assembly, this is how our system works, override the governor's veto, which I hope, hope they do, and I think they're going to. I hope as well. They're coming back early to do this on Wednesday, so hopefully it gets done immediately. Congressman Jordan, thank you for coming on. It's two days you in a row that we've had you. I appreciate your willingness to do that. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Thank you. All right, there's Jim Jordan on AM 1420, The Answer. I wasn't sure we were going to get another 20 minutes out of Jim Jordan after we just had him on Friday, but uh, he was ready and raring to go, and a lot of very important stuff uh, for him to address, obviously. So the spending, you know, he's probably not going to vote for it as is. There's probably going to be a lot more negotiations between now and the 19th when the uh, deadline, uh, you know, comes upon us. But I'll say it again. I'm very frustrated with the fact that Speaker Johnson has made this agreement without holding their feet to the fire down to the 11th hour. Down until, you know, the, the, the 18th or the 19th when the government is threatening. How do you get them to, um, how do you get them to truly negotiate in good faith and to truly make some compromises and some sacrifices in their radical wild spending by just agreeing to it 11 days early? It's, hey, look at us. You know, Speaker Johnson, we're supposed to be so excited about because he's supposed to be so much better than Kevin McCarthy. You know, here's Speaker Johnson's got his arm around the shoulders of Chuck Schumer, metaphorically. And uh, Hakeem Jeffries says, yeah, me and my buddies here, we got it all worked out 11 days early. Yep, we're good. Not everybody's happy, but you know how these things go. Let's get it done. What? No. No, because Chuck Schumer and Hakeem Jeffries have... Ear-to-ear smile. So does Joe Biden off stage over there trying to figure out where he is. But he's got an ear-to-ear smile, too. They're very happy with this deal, this $1.66 trillion uh, 2024 budget deal. Um, that's a problem for me. It's a huge problem for me. The fact that, the, the, at least according to early reports, remember, this all just came to a head yesterday. The agreement was announced. But the fact that it does not come uh, attached to... Um, massive changes in border policy, it's a non-starter for me. Mind you, I said changes in border policy, not border funding levels, because it's not about the money when it comes to the border. It is about the policy, the asylum rules. That's what has to change here. The deporting of illegals as soon as they are found, that has to change. Obama deported more illegals than anybody in the last probably 30 years. More than Trump by a lot. We need to return to that while also adding border protection. So to me, giving them all of their spending goals, the left, uh, while not securing some of the most important things that we you know, see in, on the conservative side of things, most, most 
specifically the border itself, securing the border, but without securing things that we find to be of top priority, that's a non-starter for me. i got to tell you, I'm not loving the leadership that I'm getting from Speaker Mike Johnson. And that's not out of any sort of sense of longing for the good old days of Kevin McCarthy or John Boehner. I mean, not by long shot. I'm not saying that. But but for everybody who said, "Wow, we've got this real, true, hardline conservative speaker." Mike Johnson's now the, uh, you know, the or Mike Johnson is now the new speaker of the House. Boy, things are going to change now. Really, are they? He's willing to negotiate away rights to a secure border, rights to keeping fentanyl and other drugs and drug cartels and human traffickers and so forth out of the country. He's willing to sell that out uh, to to the left. You know. Um, uh, in exchange for money to go to Volodymyr Zelensky in Ukraine. I've got a problem with that. I've got a problem with making this deal 11 days early and then just saying, yeah, well, nothing in here about the border, but uh, we're just going to say, look at us, we're going to keep the government open. I'm not, I'm not impressed. I'm not saying he's a failure, and it's still very, very early, but I am not loving what I'm seeing so far. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, hour number two is underway now, seven minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer, on this Monday. It's the eighth morning of the first month, the year of our Lord, 2024. Two days removed now from the third anniversary of January 6th. You remember January 6th, 2021, of course. It was a day that rivaled, if not was worse than Pearl Harbor, worse than the Civil War, worse than 9-11. And all of those are just from the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris herself. From what we've been told, it was literally the worst day in American history. Uh, January 6th, um, a couple thousand Trump supporters, and quite frankly, American supporters, American patriots, went down to peacefully and patriotically make their voices heard at the U.S. Capitol before something spurred a whole bunch of them to charge the Capitol and break through doors and windows and lead to what was indeed a riot. It devolved into a riot. Well, on um, Saturday, on that third anniversary... Joe Biden took a little nostalgic look back at that uh, that day of rioting, and, and I want you to hear what he said. One desperate act available to him, the violence of January the 6th. And since that day, more than 1,200 people have been charged for their assault on the Capitol. Nearly 900 of them have been convicted or pled guilty. Collectively to date, they have been sentenced to more than 840 years in prison. What's Trump done? Instead of calling them criminals, he's called these, exor- these insurrectionists patriots. They're patriots. And he promised to pardon them if he returns to office. Let's bring in our good friend Tom Zawistowski, president of the We the People Convention and the Portage County Tea Party, uh, who did a special January 6th commemorative podcast on his program this past Saturday for reaction to this. Tom Z, good morning. How are you? 
Good morning, Bob. I'm well, and, and thank you for having me on. So I thought you might appreciate uh, hearing the President of the United States brag, literally bragging, about 840 years of prison sentences being handed out to date, and the round of applause by his supporters that these individuals uh, who have been deprived, so many of them who have been deprived of their rights, uh, serving, uh, serving this time in prison, while knowing full well that scores more than those who were at the Capitol that day rioted, attacked, burned, stole, killed, uh, people all over the country the uh, summer before in the summer of George Floyd, and not one of them is doing any prison time. I just kind of thought you might appreciate that little uh, uh, that little uh, examination of it. What are your thoughts, sir? Well, I think it's really appropriate for you to you know to point out the hypocrisy, and I really appreciate you talking about Matthew uh, Graves, the U.S. attorney, who now is saying, "Listen, you know, even if you were outside the building, if you never came into the Capitol at all, mm-hmm. uh, you were trespassing on federal grounds, and we're going to charge you with a, a federal crime." And uh, you know, Jim Jordan said, you know, said he didn't hadn't heard that, but the clip of this guy who, who you know said this on the anniversary of January sixth, and 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 Biden, you know, again that speech was timed for the anniversary of January sixth, just shows you how um, they're trying to crush all political opposition. This has nothing to do with you know whether you're guilty of a crime or not. This has to do with how do we destroy. Anybody who stands up to our policies and has any threat to uh, take the power away from us. And I just posted on WeThePeopleConvention.org, you know, the show me the man from, uh, you know, the Soviet era, uh, you know, uh, secret police guy. And then I posted Matthew Graves saying, even if you never entered the Capitol, we will charge you with a federal crime. There's no difference, Bob. This is not about... What happened on January 6th? This is about how do you stop you know, people like Donald J. Trump from taking the power of the U.S. government away from the deep state and the people who have controlled it for so many years. And nothing, I think, demonstrated that more, Bob, than the uh, interview Tucker Carlson did with Congressman Higgins uh, on Twitter. On January sixth, that that's an every American needs to watch that interview because it really explains a lot of what happened on January sixth. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. Um, a lot of people have been referring to that interview and then uh, calling January sixth what is more accurate, I think, in terms of its uh, if its description, Entrapment Day, um, because uh, Congressman Higgins declared in that interview with Tucker Carlson. And we, we, we've known about the presence of federal uh, agents mixed in and infiltrating the crowd of Trump supporters for some time now. Stephen Sun, the Capitol Police chief, acknowledged what he thought was a couple of dozen. But Clay Higgins said that the conservative estimate of the number of feds who were either embedded in the crowd outside, encouraging the... Uh, uh, the storming of the Capitol, or already placed inside so that they could provide access and make it look as though they're, you know, it was okay for people to come in because others dressed like them came in. He said that number was, conservatively speaking, 200, Tom. If, if, first of all, what do you make of that? Second of all, if you believe that, that 200 federal agents were there in what was a conspiracy, essentially, to entrap people for, for you know, many weeks ahead of time prior to the... Um, uh, uh, January 6th, the uh, date of the certification of the elect- electoral votes. 
Um, if if what he said is true, this is beyond entrapment. Um, how do you view it, Tom? Well, I was happy, first of all, to hear him explain that they actually have the evidence, that they have not just the video, which you and I have been really pushing Congressman Jordan and Mike, Speaker Mike Johnson to release to the public, but yeah. he said something very important about release all the digital records. And he, he referred to you know, a radio calls and text messages and, and social media messages that it, it was very clear that Congressman Higgins says the committee investigating this actually has that information and that there would be criminal referrals because Bob, you and I, we were in touch that day. Right? You know, you and I were engaged. I was, you know, across the street at the uh, Union Station doing media interviews while this happened, and you were texting me. And what's interesting is that what we thought happened on January sixth is really going to turn out to be what happened. What what Congressman Higgins is saying is this was a setup from top to bottom. That this was done with intent to not just steal the election, because again, in, in my opinion, the election was stolen, but January 6th was to make sure it wasn't exposed and undone. But they went one major step further, and your listeners need to understand that, that the, the effort on January 6th was to now criminalize any opposition to the deep state and their you know, political allies, mostly in the Democratic Party, but many Republicans. And that the, the goal here, and that's why this, you know, Grand Drew Graves just comes out and says, we're coming for a thousand more of you. We're not done. We're, we're coming for you because Joe Biden said that the problem in America is not inflation, is not the border, is not the, the wars, is not energy. The problem in America is that Donald Trump and your listeners and I are a threat to democracy, and he's going to defend it. Fortunately, your show, our podcast at WeThePeopleConvention.org, all the things that Dan Bongino and Tucker Carlson and, and, and everyone else are doing, is basically exposing the lie of that. And as you did a great job of saying, oh, yeah, you're the defenders of democracies, but we're going to decide who's allowed to put their name on the ballot. That's what this is about. This is the final step to single-party rule in the United States like they have in California. Yeah, that is exactly what they have in California. Um, and, yeah, that part about Graves, I mean, let's let's follow up on that a little bit because this is what is so astounding. Matthew Graves, the district attorney in uh, D.C., <clears throat> said at a press conference last week that Americans who did not even go inside the Capitol building on January 6th could still lead to thousands of more arrests. Quote, an important note when it comes to our prosecutions about those who remained outside the building. We have used our prosecutorial discretion to primarily go. focus on those who entered the building or those who engaged in violent or corrupt conduct on ca- uh, Capitol grounds. But if a person knowingly entered the restricted area without authorization, they had already committed a federal crime. Make no mistake, thousands of people occupied an area that they were not authorized to be present in in the first place, end quote. So 
Tom, I, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but but I mean, all of that sounds pretty doggone uh, um, damning of people who thought they were allowed to go down there and do what people have done outside the Supreme Court, outside the Capitol, even outside the White House forever, and that is to express themselves, to make their voices heard peacefully and patriotically through the First Amendment right to freedom of assembly and freedom to petition the government for redress of grievances. Tell me how these people could have been bro- breaking any laws. Well, see, that you got to love his the prosecutorial prosecutorial discretion, yeah. right? Which means we decide what the law says. You don't. And there's video. There's tons of video that shows that Ray Apps and other people who look like federal agents actually tore down the signs that said. No trespassing. They moved the bike racks long before the vast majority of these people got to the Capitol. And, Bob, you know, I, my group, the Porch Guy Tea Party, all the groups in Ohio, we've been to the Capitol, you know, since 2010. I don't know how many times to protest, whether it's Obamacare or whatever. There was never any restriction. If, if you were there that day, you were just doing what you had done nine or ten times before. There was no signage, and, and I was watching some of the video yesterday with my wife Nan. And what you know was really interesting to me. I was I kept listening to the video, and there were no speakers set up by the police saying, "You know, cease and desist, move back. You're in an unrestricted area." There was nothing. There was no way for you to know. But they're going to charge you with a crime. Based on their prosecutorial discretion, that's where you get to the show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Yeah. That's where you get to the ruling. This I don't know if you're even aware of this, Bob, but last Friday there was another court that ruled that even if I open the door, let you into the Capitol, and you just wandered through the, the rope lines and came back out, you can be still charged with disrupting the congressional proceedings even though you didn't know they were going on. They just upheld that, and you could be charged with a year in prison. They just yeah. ruled that in a D.C. court on Friday. So well, we're in a lawless period. And what your listeners understand, and I think you understand, and I understand, and Jim Jordan understands, we are fighting for our lives to restore the rule of law in this country. We don't want to do to them what they're doing to Donald Trump and what the J6 committee <laughs> is doing to Trump and to us and what these this you know, attorney is doing to us. We want to apply the law as it's written. We want to bring to justice the people who are beating January 6th prisoners in their cells, who are denying them food and medical care, as I exposed, you know, in, in uh, my podcast on Saturday about the, you know, the prisoner of the Gateway Pundit, you know, put out there. This is, these are not, this is not what America is about. This is lawlessness. This is tyranny, and they are, have nothing to do with democracy. They have. They are about power and and dominating us, and we have to resist, or we're going to be slaves. Uh, we're talking to Tom Z. Tom Zawistowski, who's the president of the We the People Convention and uh, the founder of the Portage County Tea Party. I want to play another clip from Biden on uh, on Saturday, on the third anniversary of J Six. For the first time in our history. Insurrectionists had come to stop the peaceful transfer, transfer of power in America. First time, smashing windows, shattering doors, attacking the police. Jill and I attended the funeral of police officers who died as a result of the events of that day. Because, Donald, because of Donald Trump's lies, 
They died because these lies brought a mob to Washington. He told the crowd to fight like hell, and all hell was unleashed. He retreated to the White House. As America was attacked from within, Donald Trump watched on TV in the private small dining room off, my oval, oval, off the Oval Office. Imagine had he gone out and said, stop. Tom, I'm just going to let that sit there, and you can respond to it. Yeah, so, you know, keep telling a lie long enough, often enough, and, and people will believe it. And as, as, you know, you and I know, what he just said is the absolute opposite of what actually happened. First of all, he didn't go to any funerals for dead police officers who were killed by the crowd because there were none. There were zero. Second of all, you know, I, you know it's, it's interesting that he says that, well, Donald Trump didn't call for them to stop when there's a video of Donald Trump saying, go home, leave peacefully. This is not us. We don't do that. So, again, it's propaganda, but it's coming from the president of the United States. That should concern Every American, every American, you can criticize us. I mean, I've watched the videotapes. There definitely were people on January 6th who needed to be charged. They were, they were doing unlawful things. We're all for that because we believe in our Constitution and the rule of law. But there is no reason to lie to the American people other than to manipulate them. And that's what's going on. And thanks to people like Julie Kelly... And yourself and, and these other you know, really brave people, Jim Hoff at Gateway Pundit, who are continuing to put you know, the, the, you know, the actual facts of what happened out there. And I was happy you know, with the congressman, though you, know, you and I are both very disappointed with Speaker Johnson, with what's going on with yeah. you know, this, this funding bill and stuff. But it was interesting that he said, you know, Cummings said, Higgins said at the end of his speech with uh, Tucker Carlson interview, he believed that Mike Johnson would release all of this information. He, he really believed that. And when that happens, history will know, America will know that this was a coup. This was an organized attack by the government on the people to steal an election. We knew that all along. We knew that this was the cover-up. And now it's being exposed. And thank God that there's free media. Thank goodness there's still, you know, that Elon Musk allows Twitter, you know, to share, you know, this information and those type of interviews, because that's what actually happened. And we've got to fix it. And the only way to fix it is to sweep the elections, you know, the House, the Senate and the presidency this year. And I, like you, was glad to see Jim Jordan endorse, endorse Bernie Marino for U.S. Senate because defeating Sherrod Brown is a huge step towards getting the truth out about January 6th and restoring the rule of law in our, in our form of constitutional republic, uh, Republican government. Last thing, Tom, um, I don't know how many times he said insurrectionists or insurrection in his speech on Saturday, but it was a lot. Um, how much of that do you think is about punishing the quote-unquote insurrectionists as he sees them versus how much of that is his push? Because there's still 14 states, I want to say. There's 12 others in addition to Colorado and Maine that have already acted, and 12 others are considering banning Donald Trump from the ballot because of uh, the, four, the, uh, the 14th Amendment, Section 3, and the insurrection that they allege that he incited. How much of that do you think was directed at those individuals? See, and again, this is you're, you're focusing right on a key point. 
this is all orchestrated. They know that the Supreme Court's going to throw this out. They just want to burn into your memory, into their base, that these people tried to overthrow the government of the United States, and they are insurrectionists, even though none of the people, like the Proud Boys, weren't charged with insurrection. Donald Trump's not charged with insurrection. And what people don't understand is that all of these suits, all these states that are doing this, that's being orchestrated by, like, two people. There's a legal group committing lawfare that has this bogus candidate who's running, I forget his name, he's on the ballot here in Ohio, who's running for president, and he's claiming that his rights are infringed because Trump's name is on the ballot. And the Democrats are funding all of this for propaganda. It's not real. Those are the people in Colorado, don't, they don't want Trump's name off the ballot. This is all lawfare. This is the deep state. And that's what's hard for regular Americans to see because it looks like, wow, all these independent people are acting the same way. There must be some truth to it. There's right. no truth to it. There's zero truth to it. And that it's the process that's the punishment. They're not going to win any of these cases. And, and, and the truth is right there. Colorado and Maine, they said, we're throwing them off the ballot. Oh, but we'll keep on the ballot until the Supreme Court decides. He's on the ballot in Colorado. Tom Zawistowski. Tom Z, I knew you would bring the facts and the fire. That's why I invite you to come on. Uh, terrific job. Thank you. Keep up the great work. Stay on top of things and keep me posted. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Bob. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Have a good you day. Do. You do the same. That's Tom Zawistowski from the We the People Convention. You should check him out at wethepeopleconvention.org. All right. We'll take a time out here. On the other side. We're going to get into a different uh, area of violence. It still has to do with violence, but uh, shootings are down overall in the state of Ohio, but cop shootings in 2023 were the worst on record. The answer. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1036, we do continue now. A stain on our society. That's a good way to describe from the National Fraternal Order of Police. Um, the shooting statistics of police officers. A record-breaking number of law enforcement officers were shot in the line of duty in 2023. In the past year, 378 officers were shot. That's a 60% increase since the FOP first began tracking that data back in 2018. So in what are we looking at? Five years, 60% increase. The data shows 46 officers were killed. Um, last year, 330 shot with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic behind us. And after so many Americans have seen the tragic consequences of the defund the police movement, it was our hope that these uh, numbers, um, those numbers would be a high watermark. We were wrong. They got worse. So 330 uh, in 2022, 378 in 2023. That quote came from the FOP president, Patrick Yoz. Uh, 62 officers were killed in 2022. He said fatalities were down due to improvements in medical trauma science and anti-ballistic technology. The FOP also said that police were targeted in ambush-style attacks. 115 of those Ambush-style attacks on law enforcement officers this year. Uh, the ambush-style attacks resulted in 138 of those 378 shootings, 20 of the 46 fatalities. Joining me now to look more deeply inside this, a couple of people, as a matter of fact, two of my favorite guys, <clears throat> uh, the uh, former 
uh, president of uh, vice president rather of the uh, national FOP, former president of the FOP, Jay McDonald. Jay, good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And the current president of the Ohio FOP, Gary Wolski, with us again as well. Gary, good to have you back. How are you? Great, Bob. Thanks for having us on. I'm sorry, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to make it, but I found some time. I'm glad you were able to do it. It's always great to talk to you. You always have such important insights here. You and Jay both, as a matter of fact, we've done this uh, three-way dance before, so I'm perfectly uh, happy to have you guys here. Jay, we'll start with you. Um, uh, That number is pretty staggering, 378. I'm as concerned, though, about the ambush style as I am about the total number because, well, of what that indicates. You know, I mean, it's one thing for police to be doing their jobs and doing aggressive policing, and they've got to take down bad guys who turn their guns on them. It's a horrific part of the job but it's just kind of incidental to the job. It's another thing when they are ambushing, when they are setting traps to get cops to walk into, and 115 times in this past calendar year, it's pretty staggering, isn't it? Well, it's flat-out horrific. And uh, I don't think police work is as physical today as it was when I started 30 years ago, but it's much more dangerous because of stats like this. 115 times officers were uh, lured or ambushed, with, with uh, out regard um, to their safety. And it just doesn't happen um, in other places across the country. On June 29th, two Montgomery County police officers were shot while they were driving through a parking lot. Um, it happens here in Ohio. It happens in small towns and big towns. And it happens across the country 115 times. And that is why we believe that the, the violence directed against law enforcement officers um, needs to be addressed uh, and it needs to be addressed in Ohio and across the country federally. Um, Gary Wolski, your thoughts? Same. It, it, it's just, you know, and obviously I think we all saw uh, General Yost report the other day that gun violence is down in Ohio. However, I couldn't prove that by any police officers. I mean, there's there's more violence. There's shootings. The, the communities in the area where I'm from, there's shootings every day. Uh, Cleveland Heights up in this area, you're familiar with, Bob. They've already surpassed the number of homicides they had last year, and today's the eighth. So that should tell you something. And you know, yeah, I, I saw that report too, Gary, if I may. Um, uh, the Attorney General cited the Center for Justice's research uh, showing that since the permitless concealed carry law passed uh, a year and a half ago, that in all of uh, Ohio's major or many of Ohio's major cities, uh, that actual gun crime incidents were down. Oh, I'm sorry, hold on, not gun crime, just crime incidents. No, I was right the first time. I apologize. It, was it says crime right. incidents involving a firearm before and after permitless carry. The numbers are down in Columbus, Cleveland, Toledo, Akron, Parma, and Canton, but slightly up in, strangely, southwest Ohio, both Cincinnati and Dayton. Those two areas were the two that showed an increase. Those are the um, statistics cited by the AG's office. Go ahead. No, that, and, you know, the, the, the one point I was going to make, that, as Jay said, obviously it, it's a horrific increase. However, fortunately, the number of officers killed is down from, from last year, which... I think you mentioned in your opening, it's a testament to, you know, the training the officers are getting now. Many are, most all are carrying tourniquets with them. Mm-hmm. Um, medical care has gotten much better everywhere for everybody, fortunately. So, you know, a lot less officers are dying in the line of duty. And as you guys mentioned, these ambush things are crazy. I mean, you have stories of officers sitting, writing reports in their car, eating lunch, and people are just walking up to them and shooting them. That's craziness. Yeah, and no question. Something has to be done about it, obviously. 
Yeah, we'll go back to Jay. Jay, um, the FOP national statements uh, also said these horrifying statistics are a grim reminder of the war on cops in this country, a stain on our society. That war on cops, I mean, it didn't start necessarily in 2020 after the George Floyd death um, and the def- you know the riots across the country. It may have started back in 2014 or so with Michael Brown, but but the war on cops. Some people think that that's just a slogan. It's not, is it? It's real. No, it's absolutely real, and um, and these numbers prove that. And and we, quite frankly, need a federal response. And and there's been a bill that's been proposed in Congress to to enact some federal penalties to the ambush style attacks on, on cops. It's called the Protect and Serve Act, and uh, it's introduced by a former sheriff from Jacksonville, Florida. I believe it's 296 is the number. And we're having a hard time getting our congressman to sign on to this bill, and I can't understand why. I don't know who would not support federal penalties for ambush-style attacks on law enforcement officers. Uh, but that's one of the steps that we can take to lower this horrific number down from three, 378, an all-time record high. Um, and and uh, th- these numbers uh, show no signs of abating. So we have to take some action, and that's a good first step. Um, Gary, follow up on the war on cops part of this, and, and be specific, if you can, about the fact that police officers are so much more, you know, they call it the Ferguson effect. We've all talked about this before, but so much more hesitant to go out there and be aggressive and proactive in policing, even though that might lead to, you know, more crime for innocent victims of, of some of these neighborhoods, particularly in urban urban uh, uh, Ohio centers. But, uh, but, Gary, when cops can't go out there and be aggressive, it does embolden the criminals to be more aggressive, thus the war on cops, right? Exactly. And that's part of the problem that we face nowadays. I mean, we, we constantly hear stories about uh, you know, our legislators trying to do away with qualified immunity, things like that. Officers don't want to be on the front page of the paper. They don't want to be sued. They don't want to have to go do their job and think before they do something whether what the ramifications are going to be. You know, we need to kind of get back to the broken windows theory where we start dealing with the, the smaller crimes to help us prevent the, the larger, the larger crimes, and you know, officers just are different. As Jay said, you know, back when we started, we were very proactive. Cops don't want to do that anymore. You know, obviously they're not going to, you know, not answer calls or anything like that. But as far as being aggressive with traffic stops and things like that, officers just don't do it because the next thing you know, there there's a, a video on the six o'clock news, and they're accused of all kinds of things that doing that they didn't do obviously and it makes it makes officers hesitate when they when they go to take action uh gary how damaging has this been to recruitment you know we we see understaffed uh uh, departments all over the country i mean right here in our backyard in cleveland i mean it's brutal there's some 300 plus officers under budgeted amount and i know that's not unique um is, is it because of exactly what we're seeing right now oh absolutely it is and you know i think we're finally seeing some increases being made in salaries. I, I was at a, a Cleveland meeting the other day, and they finally had a, I think they said like 400 people at a recruiting thing, but they've just increased their, their salary tremendously there. But, again, when you talk to people, and you can ask Jay, Jay's, I think Jay's got an ad out right now looking for folks at, in Marion. Nobody wants this job. They don't want to be scrutinized. When, when you can make the kind of money that some departments are making by working at McDonald's and, and things like that, why would you take the risk of being a law enforcement officer when for you know a dollar or two less, you can have a, a job that's relatively safe and not nearly as much stress or anything. So, yeah, we're seeing that. And you know, Cleveland, sadly, they're down about 50 supervisors, 
because they don't have the folks in the patrol rank to, to, to move up and, and fill the openings, which leads to more problems with, with officers because you don't have as much supervision on the road as, as, as you need. So, yeah, it's been a tremendous problem, and it's been since the Ferguson thing, and certainly since the George Floyd thing, it's gotten much, much worse. I think I don't know, Jake can probably say he's probably, I know he just had a couple more guys retire, so he's probably a couple more down than what he was a month ago. Jay, go ahead. Why don't you follow up on the staffing? Yeah, I, I think that's a hundred percent right. I, I think that in order to re- reverse this uh, this recruiting and retention crisis that we're on, we're, we have to do a few things. We have to pay cops a, a wage that's commensurate with the risk that they take. We have to provide them a stable um, pension system, and we have to have uh, prosecutors, judges, and elected officials stand up for cops when they do the right thing. And I think that'll that'll make a uh, big difference on on recruiting. Um, you know, going back to these numbers, 11 of the 378 were Ohioans. And what? And it's not just all big cities. We had cops shot in Sydney and Clayton and Logan and Howland, not not Columbus, Cleveland, and uh, and Cincinnati even, um, only. So um, all of those things play a part, and they play a part in this recruiting crisis. Uh, yeah, I, I'm from a 61-officer agency, um, and, and we're three people down. That's 5%. So it is a uh, it, it and that affects public safety. Yeah, it, it clearly does. Speaking of public safety, I'm going to ask you both another thing. If you just tuned in, by the way, we're talking to Jay McDonald, who is a former uh, president of the Ohio FOP and the former national FOP vice president. Gary Wolski is the current uh, Ohio FOP president. Jay, stay with you here. Are there quotas that officers typically have to meet in departments of traffic stops, of uh, encounters? In other words, when we were talking about proactive policing, officers on patrol used to be you know, out there actually looking for things that are bad so they can try to prevent crimes from happening, and that includes traffic stops to a degree. Um, and when we say that they're hesitant to... Uh, to be proactive anymore because they're afraid of getting shot. They're afraid of getting arrested. They're afraid of all of these terrible things that have been going on in the war on cops. Um, how do we ensure that they're not just driving around in fear all night, not talking to anybody and not stopping anybody? Well, there are there are not quotas in, in, in most departments, and there should not be in any departments. We shouldn't be policing um, and, and uh, by trying to raise revenue, and those are the kinds of things that lead to um, – to community distrust, but but overall activity um, is not only encouraged; it you should be evaluated on. So not just traffic stops, not just arrests, uh, not just warrants served, but um, how many businesses did did we check to make sure that that the uh, the clerk was safe? How many uh, doors did we pull on to make sure that they're locked and there has not a break in in progress? How many uh, uh, you know pedestrians have we uh, checked on to see if they were uh, we're, we're doing okay. Overall activity is what we should be encouraging, um, not just traffic stops and not just uh, arrests. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm glad to hear you say that. I used to, Gary, we'll come over to you here. I um, I used to be in that camp that thought there were quotas and it was for revenue purposes. You know, they're trying to line their pockets. They're trying to pull as many people over for speeding or this or that or the other. But uh, I wised up once I found out how many crimes were prevented by traffic stops. Traffic stops that led to, you know, the finding of, of, of illegal weapons or illegal drugs or all kinds of or human trafficking and all kinds of other things that if officers aren't there being proactive on the streets, not to raise revenue and write tickets, but to also, you know, uh, make sure that, you know, things that that, uh, uh, that would have gone otherwise unnoticed are caught, well, then they're just not doing their job. So how important is that to you, Gary? 
Oh, it's, it's tremendously important. You know, when you have the ability in high crime areas to make traffic stops for, for violations, and, and, you know, one of the issues that we've ran across in Ohio recently is the fact that we eliminated the front license plate. That was a huge tool to stop folks and, and to identify criminals leaving the scenes of crimes and things. But we have a, a violent crime task force in, in, in my former agency, and these guys are taking guns off the streets like crazy because they're making these traffic stops and they're, they're, they're taking criminals off the street that have warrants. And when you're working, you know, they, they do all this technology stuff where they're, you know, mapping where the crimes are, the high crime areas for certain, you know, violent crime and stuff, and they're concentrating in those areas. And they're making these traffic stops and they're taking these bad guys off the street and, you know, by, a, you know, using a traffic stop with people with warrants, people with guns, people that are really the predators on our, on our older people in, in, in our society. So it's a huge thing. And, you know, no cops are out there writing tickets to say, oh, good, I wrote 10 tickets. Say, Nobody wants to do that. They, officers still have a lot of discretion. You write the ones that need to be written, and, and you advise the people and, and, and warn the people that, you know, you think will benefit from a warning. You know, you stop a, a, a guy for speeding, and he's got 10 speeding tickets on his record. A warning probably isn't going to do much for him. Yeah, that that's a great point. And and you know, the last thing I'm going to ask both of you to do, and we'll come back to Jay first. Make a sales pitch. Tell young men or women why they should be applying for police jobs at Marion or at Garfield Heights or in Cleveland, any of the big cities or anywhere else, given the fact that a record number of cops just got shot. More civilian and citizen review boards and consent decrees are out there with uh, people trying to judge every single move that you make. You know, we're seeing these incredibly small classes in the academy. It used to be, you know, 80, 90, 100 people graduating the police academy. And I think this last time there were like eight. Um, What's the sales pitch? How do you convince people that law enforcement is still something that is worth their time and something they should investigate as a career, given all of this stuff? Well, the first thing I'd say is it's because it's a noble profession. It is probably the opportunity is not greater in any other profession to make a difference in our community. And um, and we make those differences every single day. Um, and, and there are a lot of people who want to make a difference in their community. The, the issue is is that we have to get past um, the negativity from the so-called activists, the negativity from prosecutors and judges who are looking um, to make a, a political name for themselves. Um, and, and, we're, and we're starting to do that. It's starting to come back around. The community support is still there. Um, Gallup um, has consistently rated um, through public surveys that the only thing that rates higher than law enforcement and public confidence is the military. Um, and that continues to be true. So um, what I would have to say is um, pay attention to what your family and friends are saying and not what the, the mainstream media is saying about the community respect uh, for law enforcement. And it, it is uh, the pay is starting to come around. The uh, community respect remains there. And even more important than all of that, it is a fantastic opportunity to make a difference. And the, the men and women I work with, not just in the Marion Police Department, but the men and women I work with through the Fraternal Order of Police along with President Wolski, make that difference every single day. Um, it is noble, it, and, and you'll find no better people than the men and women of law enforcement. Um, Gary Wolski, anything to add to that? No, that's there's nothing else to be said. I mean, that's I think you know I know Jay got into into law enforcement for that reason, and I did, and I think most guys and gals do for that reason. It's a chance to give back to your communities to make the place a a better place. And you know, 
it's easy to complain about things, but if you want to help fix them, you got to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And, you know, getting involved in law enforcement certainly is that. I mean, the, the, the pension is, it, it's, a, it's a decent pension. You know, there's some good benefits when you, when you get out. Most cities, like Jay said, the pay's coming, coming up commiserate where it should be. The benefits are pretty good. You know, everybody has health care nowadays. It's, you know, and, and we all know what it would cost to get health care privately. Um, you know, when you can be part of that. And, and it does make you feel good at the end of the day. And, you know, when you, you come in tomorrow after working today and you realize that the sector of your community that you were working didn't have any violent crimes or any break-ins or anything, that tells you that you did a good job that day. You know, you were driving up and down the streets, and you may not have seen the guy that was thinking about breaking into a house, but you may have prevented that. And it, it makes you feel good at the end of the day knowing that you did something good for the community. That's a great way to uh, to go through your life, too. If you do make a difference in a community and you you feel like you've done a good job and you've made that place safer for other families, including your own, but other, other families as well, that is a very rewarding thing. Because I think about this all the time. Every time I see the numbers and I see the uh, lack of recruiting or the ability to get people to want to sign on the dotted line to protect and serve, I keep thinking to myself, how could I sell it to them, given all of these negative things that are out there? And I think you guys did a great job of doing that. And hopefully that's something uh, that's a message that can get out to some of our listeners right now and maybe if you're looking for a career and you are of the right age and you have the right temperament, maybe this is something you want to think about. But obviously, uh, it's a tough, tough time with the war on cops right now. Uh, I hope we do not surrender in that war. Gary Wolski, Ohio FOP president. Jay McDonald, uh, former Ohio FOP president and national FOP VP. We appreciate both your work very much. Keep up the great work, and uh, we'll stay in touch, okay? Bob, thank you. Thank you both. Thanks. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too, as well. All right, 10.55. We're going to get a time out here for the top of the hour. We've got some news coming your way. Then the rest of the show is yours. We are guest-free in the 11 o'clock hour. You can dial 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110 when you are ready. You want to respond to this. You want to respond to anything you heard from Jim Jordan, anything from Tom Zawistowski, or anything off the table. Uh, we'll take it all. 216-901-0945. All right, then. Hour number three is underway, seven minutes past 11 o'clock on this Monday, the eighth morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2024. We're going to walk down to the Capitol, and we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard that doesn't sound like an insurrection to me cheer on your senators cheer them on that doesn't sound like an incitement to violence to me but that's not the message that joe biden gave Joe Biden claimed that Donald Trump called for a mob violence, called for mob violence for this mob to attack the Capitol. For the first time in our history, insurrectionists had come to stop the peaceful transfer, transfer of power in America. First time. Smashing windows, shattering doors, attacking the police. Jill and I attended the funeral of police officers who died as a result of the events of that day. More lies. No one died. No police officer died that day. No police officer was killed that day. More lies. Because, Donald, because of Donald Trump's lies, they died because these lies brought a mob to Washington. Brought a mob to Washington. We're going to walk down 
to the Capitol. And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Brought a mob to Washington? He told the crowd to fight like hell, and all hell was unleashed. Yeah, he did say fight like hell. The same way every single politician ever in the history of ever has said, we're going to fight, and we're going to win. Fight, fight, fight. Fight means try your hardest. In a political context, it means and always has, try your hardest. We are going to fight this for this victory. Every football team has said we're going to fight. Again, this isn't new. This isn't new at all. Democrat politicians, we, I once put together a big, long montage of Democrats saying, fight, Nancy Pelosi, fight, Joe Biden, fight, uh, Chuck Schumer, we're going to fight. Like, we got to fight like hell, fight, 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 fight. But suddenly Donald Trump says it, and it means what? It means go and attack the Capitol? It means go and, and commit violent insurrection? Are they really trying to, trying to sell that still? We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Yeah, yeah, and we did. We did have to fight like hell. We still do. It's 2024. We've got to save this country. And in order to save this country from the hell that we are in right now, from not what Donald Trump said was prescient, it's accurate. We will not have a country at this time next year. If we don't fight like hell in January, February, March, the entire way through the November election, if we don't fight like hell. You better believe we're going to fight like hell. That doesn't mean we are calling for violence. No one did, except for... Except for the feds. And I'm sorry, nobody likes to hear that. Nobody likes to address that. Nobody wants to admit that. But the reality is, the fighting that was driven that day, the physical fighting, the physical violence that was driven that day was driven by federal agents. If you didn't hear us, Tom Z and I talked about Clay Higgins, a congressman from Louisiana, who's a former law enforcement officer, by the way, who is very, very adept and very, very knowledgeable about law enforcement techniques. He said to Tucker Carlson in an interview interview on January 6th that there were, conservatively speaking, no fewer than 200 federal agents dressed as Trump supporters and out there in that crowd, infiltrating that crowd. Ostensibly, police officers might do this to try to ensure that there is no, there are no weapons and that there's no violence that will emanate from that crowd. But in this case, many of them were on tape actually encouraging violent acts, encouraging storming of the Capitol. It is all there and available for view, and yet they want to keep Donald Trump off of the ballot. They want to keep Trump off of the ballot for inciting an insurrection that day. It is simply incomprehensible. I welcome your thoughts. 216-90. It's not incomprehensible. I misspoke. I comprehend it. I get it. I understand it. It's just indefensible. Not incomprehensible. Indefensible. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Sally is in Berea. Sally, thanks for waiting. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. If they have a recording of President Trump saying that this is not us, this is not what we do, once the violence has started, that needs to be broadcast just as much as the beginning where he says, go peacefully and patriotically protest. But when the riots started, 
if they can show that he tried to tell them, don't do that, go home, then that needs to be broadcast just as much. And also, just this January 6th anniversary just makes me so sad because of all the people who are gathered in with this net of over-prosecution where where were the loudspeakers telling them, no, don't come in here. This is a restricted area. They were, some of them were even ushered in uh, by agents, and they thought, you know, it's fine. So they were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and they're being criminalized. And then the, some of the people um, that are incarcerated now have their civil rights violated. There needs to be more exposure. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, there does. And thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Um, there does. Um, Tom's right. Two, two things. Tom was right in what you just referred to about did they have any kind of public PA system with speakers and so on set forth, set up so that the police or, or the president or anybody else could could be heard in the uh, you know on the capitol grounds there outside of the actual building where everything was starting to kind of start to get a little agitated and the uh, um, crowd was getting all ginned up the anger was getting all ginned up by the feds trying to you know encourage everybody to go in and so forth um there was nothing there in place for them to say cease and desist we need you to disperse right now or you will be arrested cease and desist or you you will be fired upon and they did they fired rubber bullets from elevated positions into that crowd that a lot of people didn't know about until some of the videos were released now not all of the videos have been released but some of them have and that show that certainly is displayed did they do anything like that in terms of crowd control no they did not that's number 1 number 2 the other thing they didn't do was heed the request to put the National Guard there because Trump knew there was going to be a protest. That's not news. He knew there was going to be a protest, and there was a protest. And because he had experienced enough things in which there is one protest group, um, particularly a conservative side, going to be appearing anywhere, and it's known ahead of time, you know that the counter-protesters are going to be there, and it's going to get violent. You know that any Tea Party group, any... uh, You know, MAGA group, America First group, and so forth, that shows up at at a large protest, you know that Antifa is going to follow. You know that BLM is going to follow. You know they are going to bring weapons, and you know it's going to get out of hand. And that's why Trump and others requested a security presence at the Capitol on the day of the certification of the election. Because he knew it could get out of hand, which is one of the other reasons why, because he knew it could get out of hand. It is very important that we all recall what he told his people, what he told his supporters at the Ellipse, was to go and be peaceful and patriotic and make your voices heard as you cheer on the senators that are going to try to stop this phony certification of elections, of of the election and of the electors. He knew it, and he told Nancy Pelosi, secure the place, make sure everything is good. Pelosi wouldn't do it, and that matters. Now, as far as President Trump, could he have come out and and gone on TV and said, hey, you know, once he saw this stuff breaking apart? Yeah, I suppose he could have. I don't know what good that would have done because those people were outside of the Capitol. They weren't watching TV. They were outside of the Capitol, and they were engaged in the, uh, the breaching of the Capitol and so on and so forth. He did go to Twitter, which people would get on their phones, and he sent out a tweet. 
telling everybody to stop, to stop uh, 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 committing any violent acts. 2.38 local time, the tweet was posted on his Twitter account that said, please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. He said that on Twitter. Now, again, is that as good as being on TV? Probably not. But, again, I don't know that making a televised statement would have done much good either. One thing I guarantee you he could not have done, and that's leave the White House and go down to the Capitol and tell people personally, break this up, because the Secret Service never would have let him. Not in a million years. There's unrest going on outside the Capitol. There's unrest going on inside the Capitol. There's violence happening outside the Capitol and inside the Capitol. That could have bring the President of the United States into the scene. Not a million years. So he sent a, t- a tweet telling everybody to, to stay calm. And again, he knew ahead of time that if there were going to be protests against the results of that, what he believed to be, and what I still believe to this day, to have been a fraudulent election, he knew that if protesters were going to go there to protest the certification of electors who were who were chosen against previous state law, they broke their own state laws, if there were going to be protesters, there were going to be counter-protesters, and it was going to get violent. That's why he told everybody, we're going to stay peaceful and patriotic. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down, and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down. Anyone you want, but I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. We have come to demand that Congress do the right thing and only count the electors who have been lawfully slated, lawfully slated. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. I wanted to give you that full context there so nobody can accuse me of selectively editing. That is everything that he said uh, up to the point where, again, uh, everybody started to disperse and go forward. And it should also be pointed out, too, this is an important aspect of this that a lot of people have let slide and, and you know kind of forgotten about. And the media, of course, doesn't want you to know about The march from the ellipse where Trump was speaking to the Capitol began long before Trump was done speaking. A lot of those people started to make their way down there before Trump said, okay, all, let's go. Uh, And, you know, the speech is over and dismissed. A lot of people, and this is from people who went there from Ohio. We've heard these stories and these firsthand accounts from people who have called this radio show and spoken to other media. And um, and a lot of them went went forth long before. So for them to say that Trump got all these people ginned up in anger, uh, angry and, and ready to go fight and so on and so forth, and he sent them all to the Capitol, there were so many of them who started walking, again, peacefully and patriotically down there that didn't even hear the rest of the speech. 
But peaceful and patriotically and cheering was what the president advised that crowd. For them to call this an insurrection, and for worse yet, as I talked about with uh, uh, with uh, Tom Zawistowski uh, and with uh, Jim Jordan as well, for the U.S. attorney in the District of Columbia in D.C. to now announce last week that they are now looking to arrest thousands of people who stayed outside the Capitol, who knew that it was maybe not a great idea to go through, despite a lot of people going through with doors being held open by police officers. Come on in. Have a look around. Don't break anything. Don't take anything. I mean, they were invited in. One would think I'm not breaking a trespassing law when I'm, when I'm being invited into the, the location by a police officer. Those people should not be charged. They thought they were following a lawful uh, order or guidance by the police officers who held the doors open for them. Why should they be charged with something? That's number one. But then number two is when the, other, uh, the people who stayed outside, because they thought even with the doors being held open, certainly on the other side of the building there's things being smashed. I'm not going in there. I'm going to stay out here lawfully. Now this U.S. attorney wants to charge those people as well and put them in prison? This is not law enforcement. This is political retribution. This is sending a message. Don't ever try to challenge the government's authority again, no matter how egregious their wrong might be, no matter how much evidence and proof of their wrongdoing that you might have. Do not go near it, or you too will end up in handcuffs. You'll end up being arrested. You'll end up being doing jail time, even for showing up and using your First Amendment rights to free speech, expression, assembly, and to petition the government for the redress of your grievances. John is in uh, Berea. Hi, John. Thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, hello. Let me, get, let me get you off of my... I was on the speakerphone. Okay. Okay. I appreciate now. that. Thank you. All right. Um, I, I still believe that, Trump, uh, that some of this is still President Trump's making... And I say this because I remember early in his presidency, maybe even before, I remember him talking to somebody, and he mentioned that if you want to get something through, if you want a message to get through to people, you got to mention it three times. And he, a lot of times when he wanted to really hit home on a idea or a thought, he would mention it three times. He didn't do that uh, in that speech. You know, he, he did mention it once, clearly. But he didn't mention it like the three times to, to drive to drive it to drive it home, and uh, that I think that's that's the part of the problem. It's 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 really too bad because you know the the, the whole the whole thing happened. Um, so that's what I wanted to share. Well, I mean, let, let me ask you though something, John. If um, do you, do you feel like you need to be that redundant? Not you. I'm saying in in your description. Do you do you feel like the president need to be that redundant and say it three times? Don't don't hurt anybody because I don't think he ever had any thought that they would try to hurt anybody. That there might be pushback from counter protesters who were there, probably. Like I said, because he see, he had mm-hmm. seen it happen in many other cases where Antifa and BLM and so forth show up to places where <clears throat> patriot groups go and have clashes. But I mean, if he said, "I know you're going to go down there and peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard," I mean, did he need to treat these this group of grown adults like they were kindergartners, reminding them on their way out to the playground? Now, remember, no pushing, no shoving, no fighting, and then say it again and again. These are adults; these are not children, right? Okay, 
I'm going to respectfully disagree. I he, he's the he's the one who said you want to you want to drive home a message. He goes. I, I'm, you mentioned you mentioned it three times. I think he he needed to do that because the, the point is that this had in a lot of people's mind. This has really rolled up to a really a really big uh, hyper thing, and he needed to find a way to uh, bring the heat level, so to speak, down. And that may have that may have done it. Well, yeah, I think you're right, John. I think you're right. We're just going to disagree on this because, right, um, okay. again, I, I feel I feel like, you know, what what the people were were being asked to do or encouraged to do was peaceful. It was never, you know, to the level of of, of violence that that was being suggested or encouraged in any way, shape, or form. I don't think he can be expected to be a mind reader there. And quite frankly, I don't think he expected there to be 200 feds in the in the uh, in the crowd who would be encouraging this very action that you're talking about right now. That he would have to try to tamp that down. So, okay. I understand your point. I do, and I appreciate your call. Thank you, my friend. Bye. Uh, bye bye. It's 11:26. We'll take a time out here. I just don't think he envisioned. Okay, 11:35. <clears throat> Final segment. Still got time for your calls at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. If you missed my conversation with Jim Jordan today, you shouldn't have. We talked about J6. We talked about the uh, district attorney in uh, D.C., Matthew Graves, going after people for being outside the Capitol. We talked about uh, Alejandro Mayorkas being impeached or potentially being impeached. We talked about uh, a ridiculous $1.66 trillion spending deal that the Republicans are gladly going along with. You're going to want to hear that stuff. We also had a great conversation with Tom Zawistowski about the <clears throat> extraordinary attack on uh, the personal liberties of conservatives uh, as it pertains to January 6th, the attack by the Biden administration and by the president himself, who literally flexed. And when I say that, I mean bragged about all of the years in prison that have been that have been handed out to people, many of whom were not violent, did not steal, did not break, did not attack, did not harm anybody. All they did was walk in. And and adding all of those up, he bragged about the prison time that... Uh, that One desperate given. act available to him. The violence of January the 6th. And since that day, more than 1,200 people have been charged for their assault on the Capitol. Nearly 900 of them have been convicted or pled guilty. Collectively, because they had no choice because they were being railroaded by your fraudulent government. They were directed into the building by your feds working in the crowd and then being told that they're facing 30 years in prison if they don't plead guilty and get and do six months. Are you kidding? Collectively, to date, they have been sentenced to more than 840 years in prison. Now, if you think that sounds sickening, and it does then you haven't heard anything yet. Listen to what's really sickening. His lemmings sat there and applauded the railroading of, railroading of innocent people into prison. Coerced by federal agents into doing something they would have done and then being told and then being and then having... SWAT come to their home at 2 o'clock in the morning and arresting them in front of their children, banging down, breaking down doors and, and ransacking the place as if they were like, you know, drug cartels or something. And they cheer that stuff. TJ's in Cleveland. TJ, go ahead. Yeah, hi, Bob. You know, Bob, you said something about they, you know, you think they would prepare for the anti-protest. Yeah. You know, and then that made me think, 
you know, do you recall seeing any anti-protest? You know, maybe they didn't want any anti-protest because they wanted one side to look like the culprit, that it was a one-sided mob. And usually, well, I think they did. I think, I think, I think the anti or counter protesters, you know, like the Antifa, they went there, and there's video of this too of them changing uh, into Trump gear, putting on the red hats and the Trump Patriot stuff and things like that. There's there's video and there's pictures of those things. So they came in and infiltrated. But what I meant was, in Trump's preparation for the day. When he had asked Nancy Pelosi to make sure that there was adequate uh, uh, security at the Capitol, it's because he knew that his people were going to protest and anticipated Antifa doing like they did it, uh, you know, at Charlottesville and other places, coming and starting a great big war. So right, he was saying, right. "Let's make sure everything is safe there." Now he didn't know that they weren't going to do that; that they were going to instead infiltrate, and, and and along with the feds, and try to encourage the, uh, you know, the rushing of the building and so on and so forth. But the point being, that's why he asked for security and was denied it by Nancy Pelosi. And that's the point I'm making, Bob. There was no war. Mm-hmm. Uh, any of these other protests, you have them battling on both sides. Yeah, that didn't happen that that, that day. And I think that was like all pre-planned by the Democratic Party and stuff, and their their minions, uh, uh, you know, Antifa. Uh, don't make this look like a fighting protest among, you know, two groups. Infiltrate people. Make it look like one side, just one side. That's it. Is responsible for all this. I think the whole thing was was premeditated, you know, by the left. Uh, that's what I think. Because you know, you know yourself. Any other protest. You got them. Ba- you you hit it on the head. They battle with each other. Antifa shows up. They get violent. There was none of that. Why? Yeah, that's a great question, TJ. It's it's uh, and it's a great observation too. Thank you, my friend, for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, let's go to West Park, Jim. You're on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Hi, Jim. Go ahead. Bob, I was under the impression that at January sixth, <clears throat> the the uh, the Capitol was not allowing visitors. Because of COVID. So on the 5th, they set up those ropes. This uh, One of the other programs I was listening to, there was a reporter that got there a day early, and he was photographing what's going on around the Capitol building. And there was all these vans setting up this construction equipment, hammers and ladders. And they, why did, would they leave those out? And so uh, I, I was under the impression that the Capitol was closed to visitors. And I, I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's what they're, they're going. And Pence knew about the hammer scorecard. He knew about the coup, and he did nothing. And if you read the book, <clears throat> Invisible Treason in America, it points all that out. And that book was held up by the government for a year and a half. Thank you for taking my call, Bob. Yeah, thank you for making the call. As far as the the Capitol being closed to visitors, I still do not believe that um, applies to the out, outer grounds. I do not believe that applies to the outer grounds. And and even if it did, once again, people who showed up there outside, not inside, <clears throat> but outside to protest, have the right to do that. And again, I would refer back to other incidents um, you know that that um, that have that have happened as as a comparative when the the freak out happened when Trump nominated Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, 
and then his confirmation hearings were held, and then his uh, swearing in was held, they went to the Supreme Court, and they didn't just stand outside peacefully. They went up to the Supreme Court doors, and they pounded, and they banged, and they screamed, and they tried to disrupt that official proceeding. Were any of those individuals charged with trespassing? Any of them charged with trying to interrupt an official proceeding? Any of them charged for any of the things that they did? No, because it's, it's, a, it's a known fact in this country that we allow people to protest. Now, should they be pounding on the doors? No. One could say that's, you know, vandalism. They're trying to damage the property if you wanted to be a jerk about it. But typically it's just like, no, they're out there being freaks because that's what they do. Just more recently. Just more recently, in response to October 7th and, and the Israeli response in, uh, in Gaza, you know, the pro-Palestinian freaks with, uh, uh, with uh, Rashida Tlaib, Sharia Tlaib, uh, went inside and tried to obstruct official business in the capital, sitting down and occupying a space. Were they allowed to be there? No. Are they being charged? No. This is selective prosecution. It is political prosecution. It is political persecution more than it is anything else. It's lawfare against the people the same way they're using lawfare against Donald Trump with the four bogus, uh, ridiculous, phony indictments. That's the truth. Thank you, Jim. Don in Lakewood. Hi, Don. Go ahead. Uh, Bob, let me get away from the radio here. Uh, You know, there was a uh, the thing about Donald Trump's tweet regarding being peaceful. Well, I checked uh, my homepage, which is still MSN for some reason. Well, actually, it's because I want to see what the adversary is up to. And uh, Business Insider, uh, front page, Trump didn't even write his tweet urging January 6th protesters to remain peaceful. 